Welcome to Open-Minded Healing, where the topic is alternative health. We will be having conversations with the practitioners that offer a variety of alternative healing modalities, as well as everyday people who have recovered their health outside of the MD's office. Join us with an open mind for conversations that may provide solutions to healing your own body on a mental, physical, and spiritual level. I'm Marla Miller. Let's begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Harriet Barnsley, a philosophy graduate from the UK. Harriet survived a serious road traffic collision, and as a result, she suffers from a traumatic brain injury, psychosis, and bipolar disorder. Today, she plays wheelchair tennis, volunteers for a number of charitable organizations, is training to be a counselor, and is currently writing her memoir. Welcome, Harriet. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to be discussing not only a traumatic thing that happened to you, a traumatic event, but how that sort of catapulted you into mental health issues. And then, of course, we'll get into how you really used your, I would say, resourcefulness and coping skills and everything you had learned up to that point to not only deal with it, but learn to thrive. So let's start with the accident, Mm -hmm. the big event. And can you explain maybe where you were, how old you were, and kind of give us some background as well? Okay, so the life-changing event that literally changed my life forever happened in 2014. It was May 31st. It was the day after I finished my degree in philosophy, so I was 21 years old. Um, I came back to my hometown and met my oldest friend to go to a hen party together. And I woke up four weeks later from a coma. I don't remember the night, don't remember the crash, don't remember what happened or the weeks leading up to it. Found out that me and my friend Rebecca, who I'd been like best friends with from the age of five to 21, we're standing in a bus stop waiting to go to the hen party and a car driving 101 miles an hour. It was 60 miles above the speed limit on the road, came around the corner and collided with the bus stop through us 50 metres, 50 yards into the park next to the bus stop. Becky died instantly. I oh. apparently was found at the scene screaming I thought I was knocked unconscious so knowing that it's there in my memory is mildly terrifying but thank god I don't remember it um and then I got put into a month-long coma and woke to learn what had happened and to learn that I'd be physically disabled and need a wheelchair for life oh my gosh that's such a dramatic difference. You, you're celebrating, you know, the fact you've graduated you're with your best friend, you're on your way to a party. Not sure what a hen party is, but. Uh, the thing before you get married, the woman's party before you oh, get married. Oh, like a wedding shower. Yeah. So, so we were on our way to our good friend's wedding shower. Oh my gosh. So all these celebratory occasions. Things. And then you wake up to a completely different life. I cannot imagine the 
trauma would be so overwhelming, even if you don't have the memory of it, but to know you lost your dear friend from to the time. Adjust to all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then yourself to know you're completely in a different place in life now. What was your first response? I mean, I can imagine, but what was your first response and reaction? To can you imagine? What, what do you imagine? And then I'll tell you what it was like. I would imagine not well, how even... How would you respond? Yeah, I, it seems like it'd be such shock, maybe not even be able to speak for a while. I mean, I, I would feel like depression would come after that. Like first your mind would just be sort of out of control, racing through all these thoughts and not even thinking about how you're going to start coping with it. Okay, so I woke up from a month-long coma. My short-term memories didn't turn to long-term memories for the first two weeks. I have to forget every single day when I woke up, apparently. Didn't have the energy to speak, to move a single part of my body. Um, was lying, staring at the ceiling. Couldn't see properly, but couldn't communicate that. Turned out I had double vision. So I suffered from a subarachnoid hemorrhage, brain bleed, and my brain shook about in my skull when we got thrown so it bled and bruised didn't have the energy to think I, I I couldn't remember how old it was I thought I was 17 years old I think um couldn't remember that been at university I mean they did all these thoughts gradually came back when my brain kind of kicked in ish but it was hazy for months um which kind of I suppose helped a little bit with adjusting to it because it wasn't like I learned it all and just was like, bam, it just was a gradual kind of realization of how bad it was, which if, if there's any way to learn something, I couldn't have learned that in one go. So yeah, yeah. At first, at first I thought everyone was acting and they weren't real. Like it felt like it's not like an alternative reality. Like I, did, I, was like, I just can't comprehend what on earth I've been doing in my life or how on earth I'd got to this stage of lying in a hospital room with people wandering around. I just didn't think it was real because, you know, again, how do you comprehend it anyway? I got scared that both my legs had been amputated. I couldn't look down to check. It didn't feel right. There was nerve pain. I eventually saw my mom sitting on the bedside next to me, just like flicking through a magazine and kind of was like, oh, okay, I can see mom. She's watching over me. I don't know about all these other people, but I'm going to trust that she's got my back and she's going to keep me safe. So when you first woke up, was she the first person you saw? She was the first person that I saw that I interacted with. I saw like people kind of looking at clipboards and things and again, just didn't take them as real. So I just, it was all hazy anyway. And again, I couldn't see because of double vision, but I couldn't communicate that. But then she came into focus and I kind of trusted that I was safe. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Well, obviously I did not imagine that correctly, how you experienced it, but I can't even imagine trying to process what was going on at the moment. It kind of made it easier. Like I was lying there and I, I couldn't, I couldn't work out what happened. I couldn't retain what was being said to me. And I remembered my sister. So my sister was born two years after me, three and a half months early, stone cold death, kidney failure, learning difficulties. She'll always have to live with my parents, never be independent or have the family and life that she'd want. And I remembered her and that kind of propelled me to kind of, I was like, well, whatever's happened, 
at least I don't have the learned ability that I'll be able to work with what's happened and it would be insulting to her to not try. Even though I didn't really know what was happening, I just slowly was like, well, I've got my head around the fact that I had to deal with it. And so I just actively tried to deal with it. So you had the example of your sister who was born with these disabilities. Mm -hmm. She didn't complain. She just went after life and did the everything that she could do. Yeah, our whole life, she'd just, I don't know, she'd see like ducks crossing the street and be overjoyed, like just the joy in the small things. We'd always have just, you know, appreciate that she can walk, that she can talk, that she can sort of communicate. There were so many risks to her health that like she got meningitis when she was born. The fact that she's able to be okay is such a relief and such a, um, a blessing that it's hard not to count it. Yeah. Well, she sounds like such an inspirational person in life in general, and especially in this situation where you're trying to wrap your head around how you can propel yourself forward and find the joy again, I would imagine, in daily life. So you were in the hospital, you said, healing from all the physical things. And how long was that process, just healing the physical? So... I was in the first hospital for three months where my body was just trying to heal and I was on intravenous morphine but in agony. Bones were growing in ripping apart the muscle in my hip. It's a phenomenon called heterotrophic ossification, HO for short. That happens when you have a brain injury or lots of breaks in your body. Your body grows bone where it shouldn't, which is kind of miraculous. It's trying really hard to heal, tore apart the muscle of my hip. That blinding pain was the worst thing I've ever felt. And then after three months, my body started freaking out even more and started making me throw up three to five times a day for like a month. Doctors would come in and say, like, why are you getting sick? And I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. You're the doctors. So I went down to seven and a half stone as a five foot six person, which was massively underweight, and I just needed all my strength but couldn't stop it. I brushed my teeth and threw up. It was just, it was just relentless. It was green bile. But thankfully, I didn't really get regain clear thoughts and stuff for the first like three or four months. So that kind of blurred all the pain together. When you said seven yeah. and a half stone, I went down to 98 pounds. Oh my gosh. So then I eventually just managed to well, it just stopped happening I stopped throwing up and they moved me to a rehabilitation hospital which I was there I was there for two months so I was in total hospital for five months I got out of there a lot faster than anyone expected because I kind of just worked as hard as I physically could they thought I'd be there a lot lot longer so with the bones growing in odd places how did they deal with that there was no way to deal with it, but I let it happen. I got med- given medication to try and stop it. It would like it was a ridiculous amount of bone. They were just amazed at the amount that that got produced. Two years later, they said after two years, the bone stops freaking out inside you, or your body calms down, and they can operate. So it's trauma triggers it. So if they operate, it can just make it grow back twice the size. They managed to cut out a lot and not grow back too much, but it's still a bit like there's still a fair bit left inside my hip that restricts the movement. So eight years later, I'm now this morning I was on had an appointment at the hospital to discuss cutting out some more. Wow, I had never heard of that. Well, you're a trooper, I will say that. 
going through that Thank surgery you. and dealing with all of this. So after you got out of the hospital and you go home and physically you're doing, I'm assuming much better than initially. I was restricted to a wheelchair. I started going to hydrotherapy and just threw myself into my physical recovery. And ever, lots of the physios were shocked at like how fast I did things for, for considering what my ailments were or what my struggles were. But um, I think a lot of the, you know, when people like break their leg and they get sent home, they get physio and they don't do the exercises. Yeah. Like lots of people just don't bother doing the exercises. They're just a bit, I don't know, stubborn and want to get better on their own or just don't want to have to do the hard work. I have always been active and the reason I was so physically fit, I was so physically fit and that's one of the reasons I survived, but I just knew that I would need my strength. So I like, despite having a brain injury, which means I have constant fatigue, I still work as hard as I physically can. Yeah. So that strength, where do you think that comes from? My family, I've always had it, but my parents met through athletics, they met through running. So I went to running athletics tracks when um, I was growing up I can't ever run again now and I won't ever be able to walk or stand for as long as I ever did before but but because I kind of had that normal of knowing what it should be like I know how much I can push myself yeah so when was it that you realized something was off Apparently it's a fairly common thing or not. It's a common thing when someone has lots of like physical injuries, they just deal with that for as long as possible. And then, and then people start to realize that they have actually a lot of, it's not just physical injuries. You've got a lot of mental damage alongside. So I had 50 or 60 hours of surgery in total. Um, I had like major operations when I came out, especially with the bone. Like that was a, the most painful operation I've ever had in my life. And then the surgeries kind of came to a sort of, not an end, but I'd had the major ones that I had to have in order to be able to live the life I wanted. And then just slowed down. I tried to start a master's in the philosophy of health and happiness, which seemed like the perfect title. Yeah. Yeah. And I got an unconditional offer for it. With the brain injury, I just couldn't retain all all the dense philosophy texts and just, I just, slowly stopped being able to function and just kind of gave up so that that was the goal I had something to work towards that felt normal and fitted in with the rest of the world that was this master's and then I failed at doing that and then just like stopped um I've been volunteering like doing lots of different volunteer work alongside it my recovery I always wanted to do things I volunteered volunteering for the Red Cross as like with the British Red Cross and then just it all caught up with me. I just got so, 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 it wasn't even sad. I was just like depressed. I was just flat. I just went flatter and flatter and flatter. Um, and that was the start of like my really serious mental health issues. So the first sign that you were having some mental health issues was that sort of depressed, flat feeling. Yeah, it was. Um, and what I've now learned, it, they gave me a diagnosis like seven years later after the crash that um, I've developed organic bipolar from the brain injury so the low that I felt was the bipolar low which was because I felt bits I felt like mildly depressed like over the years in the five years but like bipolar low meant that like my like I just didn't have anything inside me at all it was just 
flat sadness I couldn't think of a single thing to say I didn't know who how to be a person anymore or function in the world and that kind of took over for months and it was all I could think it was the most horrendous thing and it it's happened several times since because I live with bipolar and I don't I just have to just wait it out so how did that transition into organic bipolar disorder like who recognized it as something other than you're depressed because of everything you've been through in that moment so first they recognized it as bar psychosis so I wasn't sleeping didn't sleep for years like stopped sleeping really after I got hit by a car and then got so sad and so flat I'd stay up all night and then realized that when I stay up all night my mood would lift and I would feel like a mild high and I would be chatty and happy and everything would be great again and then I'd go back to sleep the next day and it reset and go back down to the flatness and so anytime I didn't sleep I felt like me or felt like I could function but that then led me to getting picked up by the police on the motorway in the middle of the night like not believing my reality like I thought I was living in hell thought I died because no one survives if is if you get hit by a car at 40 miles an hour, there's a 90% chance you die. I got hit by a car 60 miles more than that, so 101 miles an hour, and just there's no record of people surviving that. And so I just slowly convinced myself that I died and I was living in hell. Wow. What a tremendous weight on you. Mm. So you're saying the police, what, picked you up because you were out just wandering in the middle of the night? No, um, I'd, my, I'd driven my car out of petrol on the motorway. A car went into the back of me and I thought that was going to be, be it. I was going to die, like get hit by a car and die properly this time, whatever. And they like got out of the car and knocked the window, tried to get me out to see if I was okay. And I didn't believe that they were real. It was very much like in hospital after the coma. And the police then got me out of my car and put me in a van and put me in a jail cell overnight while they were looking for a hospital bed for me. And I, then I lived into like this worst like psychosis nightmare that was the most horrific thing I've ever experienced mentally. Did they find you so in bed? I got put into a hospital. Um, so I got sectioned, which is like committed or made to stay in hospital because of my mental state under monitoring and they change my medication because apparently you can't have antidepressants if you have bipolar or and they they didn't recognize it as bipolar because I but they recognized it as a mood disorder so they changed it to an antipsychotic medication so I was made to stay there for a month under section two and, and how did you find that month there was it like a nightmare or was it relief that you're safe and you're in a certain space and people are taking care of you it was relief that the nightmare in my head that I'd had a police cell because I thought I was like I, I I literally felt like I was in hell like in my head for for what felt like three days and I'd never escape it. The relief that I feel and felt from not being trapped in that world has just been so powerful and so like freeing. When I was in hospital, I didn't really have like much structure to it. It was just I was relieved that. I didn't have to cook any of my meals. I was relieved that they just did my bed and did their house and I, they just let me rest and sleep as much as I wanted. Um, interacting with other mental patients was interesting because I felt like we were all encouraging each other to not cope. Yeah. 
Well, so after the month goes by that you're in that hospital, are you then released? Yeah, I got day release and then I got weekend release with my parent, with my family. And then I just got let out and got to go home. And then they send staff to, in theory, weekly check on you or to, to make sure that you're okay in the real world. But the staff that these people never appeared. So I was kind of just left to my own devices. But the medication was working and was keeping me stable. And again, of all the people that I spoke to in the hospital, I had like I had the shortest time to be made to stay in hospital. Like a month was the shortest that you can get, I think. I am and always have been a lot more lucid than people that were a lot, lot more mentally ill than me. Yeah. So it was a part even deep down that, really wanted to survive and get help we try and cope and we try and survive don't we as humans and so I just I wanted to be able to live independently and I wanted to be able to ensure that I could do that section two I got put in a section two which is up to 28 days section three is up to six months like and it goes (laughs) so like I could have been made to stay in hospital and lost all of my I don't know, livelihood and life, isn't it? Because because if you're taken out of the world for six months, that's a long time to like have to then restart building it. So for, I was just grateful that I wasn't made to stay longer. Well, that's good. Well, it's good you had that thought in your head. You know, you were aware, aware mm-hmm. enough to realize that. So after you went home, you said the medication worked, the antipsychotic, mm-hmm. right? Um, what else did you do at that point to trying to help yourself um I listened to my body and my mind as much as I could I I didn't try and push myself whenever I didn't want to do something I got problems with my feet so I can't feel my one foot so it's like a diabetic there's infections I can't tell how bad they are so I got whenever I get ill and put in hospital my foot gets bad so then I have to then go back to my wheelchair basically full-time so I moved into a flat of my own. I'd got that before I got put in hospital, but I hadn't moved in yet. And then just took myself out of my wheelchair to the local area and read in coffee shops and then sat in the pub and just met people like that were drinking. Like I didn't, I purposely didn't drink more than like one or two pints. Like I, was, I knew med, alcohol doesn't really help mental health. Um, I ended up meeting a man who, became a partner in 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 the local pub and has been there to support me ever since not that I need like loads of support I mean I did get ill and I did need more support but he's the only person in my life that's ever bothered to learn sign language to talk to my sister including like my mom my dad my sister we all sign but no none of my extended family or none none of my friends or none of my partners have ever tried to communicate with her really and that's um He's a scout leader who who signs to my sister. So it's wow. pretty, pretty great. Yeah. That's a good sign of a good guy. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that he was so supportive of you and then also your family like that. And he's That's- he was so supportive, even though he's never had mental health issues and doesn't understand mental health properly because of that. Like I don't because he's a volunteer, he's a scout leader and he likes to particularly work with like disabled kids or kids that wouldn't get the same chances and so he kind of already had it in his head to kind of just be more accepting of people that are different yeah 
Well, that probably, yeah, it sounds like it. Well, it sounds like that drew you two together. I mean, you would need someone like that, but uh, someone that at least understood disability to some to some, some capacity. Yeah. So what are you doing as far as work at this point? I can't work, don't work, volunteer. With the brain injury, I don't have the capacity to, to do the amount of solid concentration. It makes me really, really fatigued and I can't walk or wheel. So I've always just volunteered in place of it. And I'm, I'm like writing a book about my recovery and just trying to be a counsellor. And these things hopefully will come into some sort of thing in the future. But no, so we've got this beautiful relationship. Um, we move into a house together at the start of 2020, so just before COVID hit. And then we started talking about marriage and how great life was and all these things. And I, then I then it turns out that I could get ill and develop psychosis from happiness as well as sadness, which I had no idea it could possibly, I knew what to look out for in terms of sadness and flatness. And then, you know, that's not a good sign for a mental state, but to be so excited about life and marriage and the, the best, like all the, the good support and all the like beautiful house, we have a beautiful cat called Fred. And just then I then got put in hospital again and oh poor this is joe joe's my partner uh, he like i tried to break up with him and um took out all my frustrations on him and he just took it and just accepted it and like when i got released out of hospital after a month again he like came to me with like a bouquet of flowers and a big smile on his face and just oh my gosh yeah that's incredibly very... sweet and thoughtful mm-hmm. and loving what a ironic thing that happiness leads to a ill state, state of mind yeah, yeah. To mental health rearing its head it's the joys of bipolar and then learned after the second time I was born in hospital so what do you do then to combat that to not get too sad not get too happy how do you balance that um with, with a lot of conscious effort a lot of conscious choice especially after what I've survived the first time in psychosis, the, the hell that I lived in, surviving the worst mental state of my life means like, and also surviving the worst physical state of my life five years before that. And, you know, just, I just appreciate life. I just, I always have anyway, but I just have the joy that I'm alive. And then learning at the start learning that my oldest friend had been killed and I just took that and was like well I'm gonna live for both of us I'm not gonna waste it so my sister and my friend my family's always been supportive I've just I just I can't sorry I can't what your question was it was just I was just how do you balance the emotions so that you don't go in to another stay at the hospital I regularly take the medication I think I may have missed one or two the second time I got ill I don't know why it went so extreme. It's also moods, I suppose. I, I make sure I take the medication. I'll communicate with my doctor. I have regular psychotherapy with a counsellor who's or a psychologist who is wonderful. I communicate with my partner, my friends, my family, how I feel because it's if I talk about it and people kind of recognise the signs because they've all supported me through it before, they can 
say oh no like maybe maybe see counselor or maybe speak to your doctor about increasing the medication because I can have a higher dose and just consciously choosing all the time to make sure that I look after myself the best way I can just yeah. that I, I take the time to recognize what, how my mental health's feeling and whether you know I need to miss volunteering that day and do some like have a day just reading or have or do some exercise and have less alcohol but like you know and eat it's just all the little things it's don't drink too much eat healthy exercise do good things that you enjoy and also like I, the volunteering and the hopefully working towards some sort of work with the writing and with trained to be a counsellor is like having purpose isn't it and I think it's important to have yeah things yeah. that feel worthwhile that are not just passing the time you've got to have the combination yeah. I mean, that's great advice for everyone to give yourself self-care, self-love and to find a purpose. So if you knew there was an event coming up that you were going to be very excited about, what would you do to sort of head it off a little bit? Well, one thing is to take the medication at the same time every single night because it lasts in your system for like 24 hours. But if I get too excited because it gets harder to sleep, the more you start feeling yourself lift and get manic it's 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 mild mania recognizing that I'm feeling myself get a bit carried away and if I start scrolling on my phone and just like do lots of start lots of tasks and then move on to the next one just over and over and over I have to bring myself back to like my center and just slow down I've been doing like yoga and I do meditation and things, but they're hard to do when you're feeling a bit overworked and excited. So I don't tend to force myself when I'm feeling like that. If you sleep, sleep kind of just heals it anyway. It tends to just reset you a bit. Yeah, that's good. And how are you able to go to sleep? Do you have any kind of routine in the evening or something you do? Um. The medication we want, it, it helps me sleep. It's a really big thing factor on that. Reading before bed, like trying to get off technology, because I feel like if you're scrolling on your phone, especially in bed, you're just getting little hits of dopamine that are like getting you a bit excited. I don't really think, especially screen light on when you're trying to go to sleep isn't going to help. So just getting off that. I've got like a little gym in the back of a house that's got like exercise equipment that's come down from my parents because we're always really obsessed with exercise and I've been doing things like I've got a little yoga I've got a yoga book that's for all different abilities um and I've been putting like my legs up the wall and then holding those poses for like five minutes at a time and it just focus on your breathing it's just really 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 like especially if I can't sleep if I do some of those for like five minutes I come back I go upstairs I come back to bed and then I just go straight away it's really really um nice Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's good you have some different tools you can use. Yeah, it's just figuring out what works for you and like just not if you don't have a, like a tool set, if you don't have things that work for you, I think it's important to make the time to try out different things and find a few things that will benefit you when you're not feeling great. Yeah. Is there anything else that you do differently now? mentioned the variety of things and what helps you sleep and things that you do as far as yoga or meditation is there any other thing that stands out to you that you've done in addition to the medication um if you're struggling with things or even if you're not struggling with things I like the saying like if you can't take any more give 
if you're just focused on yourself and your own problems and they're all consuming and that's all you can think about it almost reinforces it and makes it worse like if you can just step outside of yourself and do something for the people it stops you from being like ah my life's terrible because you're helping and worrying someone else I find that's really key that's a yeah that's an awesome perspective to take the focus off yourself so you're taking Mm. it off of everything including all your pain I mean you've shown the power of mindset the fact that you looked at your sister and saw everything she was able to face and thrive and not feel sorry for herself Also, the fact that when someone in your situation, say you're in a car accident or in your case, you got hit by a car and you lose someone in that accident, then people have a lot of guilt or, you know, survivor's guilt, as they say. Mm -hmm. And I can really appreciate the fact that you decided to live your life to the very best of your ability in honor of that friend rather than feeling like I shouldn't be here either. You've been able to say, I'm going to thrive and live my best life since she couldn't. I think there's a difference. I know not everyone can control how, how they react to it, but you can choose to live for or in memory of the other person. Because she wasn't like, well, best friend should want me to be happy. It's because they've had their life and their joy taken away from them that you should have yours taken away from you. No. Yeah. I think that's powerful to have the mindset you do. So for someone out there, that's really struggling, they're struggling with depression or pain or mentally, what is a piece of advice you would give them? The number one thing I would say is, is to keep going. I think if I think staying still and, and you know shutting down and I mean I've done it I've stopped going for 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 months at a time and you just find that you stagnate and that you you don't get better until you start trying you can let yourself feel it and that's fine I think it's important to let yourself feel it but it's also then important to start to try to just make to just do little things it's all in the little things isn't it like I stopped and I was just like really sad, especially the first time I stopped opening my curtains because I was like, what is the point? I'm going to have to close them in a few hours because it was winter. <laughs> so I may as well save myself that activity. But, you know, but just opening your curtains every day is, is like a good start today. Just this, the, the tiny little bits of self-care that feel pointless all make a massive difference when they add on top of each other. Yeah, that's great. That's great metaphor. It's like opening yourself up to the brightness out there, the hope, joy, just living your best life. What is the prognosis with the organic bipolar disorder? Does it ever heal? Does it ever get better? Or is this something they said is a lifelong thing? It's something that will be for life. I can feel it. I can feel it in the instability of my brain, especially because I didn't have mental health problems before the brain injury. I can feel the difference. And whenever my mood is off, it feels unhealthy. It's just, it's paying attention to how I feel and just monitoring it. So I thought sometimes you can have an episode of psychosis as a one-off. That's it for life. I thought that was that. And then because I then got one from happiness, I've then learned, to recognize that it could be triggered at any point in my life. Just trying to keep up with the world and just trying to be normal and not taking medication. 
lot of people I know with mental health issues don't take the medication because they want to just be normal. My brain can't stay stable if I don't take medication. I can't sleep if I don't take medication. I have to. And I love that I have the option to, I love that I have it to keep me stable. Yeah. But, but it's the idea of being relying on something for the rest of your life for some reason people find hard. Whereas I just think it's really good that these things are provided that you can then rely on. Yeah, at least there is some solution mm. that helps you. Learning about your condition is really empowering, I think. And a lot of people don't do it. They just don't want to have the condition or the mental health struggle or the struggle in life. Like acceptance is like obviously the number one best thing you can do for yourself is accept something. Well, yeah, I think that's true as far as not being in denial that something is going on because then you wouldn't look for resources or new technology that comes out or whatever. If you think you don't have it or you deny that you have it, you're not looking for answers either. It's again like when I woke up at the coma, I thought I'd be back to normal. I thought my legs would heal. I thought I'd be back up walking around. I think it's really important to not try and chase what you think the rest of the world's doing or what we should be doing and just do what works for you. Yes, very well said. So I like to ask people, what was the biggest lesson you learned, the biggest obstacle you faced, and the biggest kindness someone showed you? Biggest lesson I learned, especially with mental health, I kept all of the things in my head for a long time. So I had delusions or things that were wrong that that, that didn't match with the rest of the world. When you're struggling with things and you don't say anything of them out loud and you just keep it inside and hope it'll go away, makes it kind of explode out of you at some point. I think it's important just to talk. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the biggest obstacle? Time, I think. Again, when I woke up at the coma, got out of hospital, I knew it was going to take me years, years to actually get my head around it and to get better and to like start living and driving rather than just surviving. But I didn't want to wait. Yeah. So yeah, time was the biggest enemy. And what about the biggest kindness shown to you? My mom and that extends to people that just fully accepted me as for who I am now. Because I've had quite a few people that knew me before I got hit by a car and then knew me afterwards and tried to treat me the same way that I had been before and tried to get me to walk places and not use my wheelchair and didn't want to push me in the wheelchair and they just wanted me to keep up with life how I'd kept it and I just couldn't and I didn't want to say no guys like I'm different now I wanted to be accepted but my mom just you know whenever whenever I was tired or whenever I needed some extra help with anything at all she would immediately accept it and do it and that's extended to you know, my partner now. And, you know, if you're having really big mental health problems and the people around me, like my mom and my partner, couldn't possibly relate to or know what I was going through, but they didn't challenge it. I don't think it's helpful to, if someone's got these thoughts going on in their head and that feels real to them, someone telling you that you're wrong and arguing with you is not. It made me worse. It made me think, it made me, yeah, it made me a lot iller than I needed to be because people would just argue with me. Yeah, acceptance. I think that the thing that everybody wants in the world, right? Acceptance for who you are, where you're at in any given moment. Yeah, and it's not like people are making it up when they're having all these horrible thoughts or experiences or moods or, you know, if they're struggling, people aren't aren't making it up for the fun of it, are they? No. 
I love all your answers to those three questions. Thank so you. thank you so much. If people wanted to connect with you, are you open to that? How could they reach you? Yeah, very open to that. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, on my blog, there's a contact option. It's this two shall pass four six four. Twitter, it's just Harriet Barnsley. Twitter or on my blog. Oh yeah, just Google me. Okay. But yeah, please do get in contact to anyone that would like to talk. Like I have all the time for it. I like she'll support each other as much as possible, shouldn't I? That's great. And your blog, what is that about? I've started it like in 2016, like just to kind of communicate what was going on and all the struggles I've been going through. And then I've then people reached out and said, like, I've seen you struggle and that made me cope better with what I was struggling with. And I just I've kept it going because of that. And after eight years, I now feel OK enough to talk about road safety and people drive terribly. It's really, it's really painful. Most of the crashes that happen are from people being distracted, choosing to check their phone or choosing to drink or choosing to speed. And I'm just building my platform on my blog and also on Twitter and social media to kind of raise awareness of like road safety because these are all crashes that could be preventable and people's lives could be saved. Well, I have a feeling that you are inspiring a lot of people, anyone who's read your blog, I'm sure anyone who hears you speak and all your volunteer work. It's amazing. I'm sure how many lives you've touched in a positive way. So I, I really appreciate meeting you and you taking the time to share your story. No, it's been lovely to meet you too. I love what you're doing as well. Sorry, I jumped in. I love about helping people heal, isn't it? It's trying to encourage people to heal. Is that your general message? Yeah, letting people know that they don't have to suffer the way they are, you know, whether it's mentally or physically or spiritually, there are answers and solutions. And I want people to find them just so they are living a life with as much joy as possible, as pain-free as possible. And I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be sure and follow Open-Minded Healing so you'll get every new episode as soon as it's released each Tuesday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.